0: And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright.
2: And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. At least sometimes host, Corey.
0: S- sometimes host. It's you've, been a while. You've been on the couch, not necessarily in a bad way, but you're you're coming off of your injury there from the ski accident we talked about. Yeah. It seems like the ski accident back injury has spawned.
2: A leg injury. A leg injury.
0: now, Also known as old, old age.
2: I was going to say, I'm also known as uh, I show up to the... uh to kuv <laughs> This is this place down the street, a Cairo physio. And they're basically telling me my pain threshold's just not very high. I think the problem is I'm, I'm just not good at pain. So <laughs> I'm basically healthy. I fell off skis. You fell off a Peloton. <laughs> tell,
0: not, tell not, me about this. Definitely not the proudest moment in my life. So, you know, you're, you're up early in the morning, you're doing the climbing class, obviously. So you're up out of the seat. And my, my legs are just like, can't even move anymore at this point. And clearly the Peloton hasn't worked for me. I snapped the pedal off, which I don't know if that's code word for you're too fat for the Peloton. <laughs> it's not working. Try something else. So I, I, I literally go almost head over heels on a Peloton, which is hard to do
2: because this just... You fell off your bike. <laughs> I,
0: I fell off the stationary bike. <laughs> After I recover and limping around my house, I called the customer service line because I was smart enough to buy the warranty. And the girl made it sound like I'm the only person ever, never, ever, In Peloton history,
2: to snap a pedal off. You're pedaling too hard. Just muscular thighs. (laughs) It's
0: just the weight of the the bum pushing down on the pedal that the pedal just snapped. And it wasn't like it was a clean break. Like I snapped it right through the hard. Like like, (laughs) it was probably. It snapped where it wasn't supposed to snap. it, It broke where it wasn't. I'm pretty sure a bear could not have snapped it in the same spot. So that's probably not a good thing. It's probably telling me the Peloton is not working. For so, weight so, loss.
2: So, so we're both doing very well is uh, <laughs> but, is but, the takeaway. But
0: but you fell doing activities, going down a mountain at <laughs> 60 miles an hour, I'm sure. I almost went head over heels on my stationary bike because I broke the pedal. In your basement. Too, <laughs> I was too fat in my basement.
2: Well, so all's well here. I I've, It just dawned on me we didn't say who the guest is today. This is a great conversation Sam Wilson is on the show. He is out of Memphis, Tennessee, and he's the host of a phenomenal podcast. I didn't know about this podcast. It's but, a great podcast. But, but great, you podcast. Podcast. yeah. How to Scale Commercial Real Estate. It's almost like a sister show for us, except from the States.
0: Yeah, and you know what? One thing, too, is I've listened to the podcast for quite some time, and he, he takes a very educational approach to it, and he has everyone on from syndicators to lawyers to teaches people about passive investing and all that stuff. And he's been a very successful commercial real estate investor himself. So he shares that information. So we've been trying to get him on the show for a while. We're very, very lucky that they returned our calls. And he comes on and he talks about some amazing asset classes that have exceptional cash on cash returns that you don't typically hear about up
2: here. The cap rates, these are exceptional. Yeah, These are exceptional. And well, let's let Sam talk about where he has his laser like focus right yeah, now. Yeah. Because it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. And he's he's a he's a character. It was and, a great, great talking about him. And on. if
0: you want to talk about luck. Oh my. And he they have a, a real estate portfolio that they sold probably the day before COVID hit that probably sounds like would have been greatly affected by COVID. And it's not an office portfolio yeah. or a real estate re- retail it. portfolio like you're thinking. So he dives into that and you got to be good to be lucky. Talk about timing, talk about timing a market. So great episode.
2: Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll cut to our talk with Sam Wilson. This one is great not to be missed. Enjoy guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. ca okay we're here with sam wilson host of the podcast how to scale commercial real estate how you doing sam
1: hey guys i'm doing great How about yourself
2: really good thanks so much for taking the time sam we should say all the way from uh, memphis tennessee
1: yeah that's absolutely right absolutely right the pleasure to be on your show thanks for having me
2: Maybe uh, to start, Sam, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm a guy that grew up Midwest, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. My family was always entrepreneurial, probably not very good at it, to be honest with you, because we grew up pretty poor. But uh, one of the things we learned out of the gate, I guess, as kids is, is how, to, uh, how to hustle. And that has stuck with me really throughout my life. I don't, I don't know what it's like to work for somebody else. I never really, I mean, other than maybe a high school job mowing grass. I don't, I never worked for anybody else. And so it's, uh, you know, that stuck with me and we owned a family flooring company that did eventually take off. My brother and I owned that and then I ended up buying out part of that, sold it when I was 30 and headed south. And I didn't know what to do next in life and fell into real estate. Randomly bought a house at the foreclosure auction we at a foreclosure auction. This is back in 2013 when there were loads of foreclosures on the chopping block almost every day, it seems. And uh, yeah, I bought a foreclosure, made a pile of money on it. I said, man, I can just keep doing this. And so here we are, nine years later, many iterations of the business You know, have stepped completely out of the single family space and uh, focused solely on commercial real estate today. I'm a passive investor and in lots of different opportunities. I also am an active investor and have been actively in... A, in in many different asset classes. Uh, we're kind of zeroed in on another asset class, which I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. But um yeah, that's uh that's kind of the short and the short and sweet of it. Um yeah, that's it.
2: Well no it's super interesting. So I, I have kind of a real estate question, but maybe first, why why did you head to Memphis? What was the just out of curiosity, what was the draw? The music?
1: That's a great that's a great question. <laughs> uh family. My 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 wife is from Tennessee. We had family here. The short answer is, I left Indianapolis as a middle-aged guy with no college education and a pocket full of money. I didn't know what to do next in life. I mean, I was completely unhireable, right? You sell your own <laughs> business—that's cool. It but I only knew—I only knew, yeah, I only knew one trade. It was like, okay, I know one trade. I've got money and I got time. I don't know what to do next. And so, honestly, I panicked. We went south. Twenty thirteen was—it was an interesting year for us. Uh, but headed south, and in that is, uh, you know, just kind of landed in Memphis and is like, oh, we got family here. We'll we'll kind of just see what this feels like for a little bit. Didn't plan on staying. Of course that's usually the way it goes. And nine years later here we are and it's uh it's home. Right on.
2: So thinking about your kind of last decade in real estate, Sam, I work on the residential side. Corey, the co-host here, works on the commercial side. It sounds like you started in residential and have moved to to commercial i'm I'm kind of curious to to hear about that transition and and why you made it and why you like commercial real estate.
1: I love commercial because it's the same amount of work as residential investing I mean literally the same amount of work there's just there's just more zeros at the end of it. I mean it takes just as long in my opinion, maybe this is an exaggeration slightly, but it's pretty darn close just as long to put together a ten million dollar deal as it does to put together a half a million dollar deal It's just and in fact, your your ten million dollar deals are more easily financed than your half a million dollar deal. There are plenty of money out there for large commercial projects. You get in that like five hundred thousand dollar range, and it's like, eh, you're dealing with county banks, you're dealing with, you know, people that don't understand more complicated processes or more complicated visions and plans. And it just it's just harder to scale. I mean, I think that's the, the and that's the name of my show. It's how to scale commercial real estate. And that was the whole kind of conclusion I came to was that yeah, I could make it work, but it was very tough on the single-family side. And again, I understand there's companies out there that are a lot smarter than me that have figured out how to do it. I couldn't figure out how to scale the single-family business. And so I said, man, there's got to be a, another way that is that is scalable and repeatable. And I, I know it's in commercial real estate.
0: Well, Sam, you touched just briefly on it there. and I've been a, an avid listener of your podcast, and we're very fortunate to have you here you host a podcast called How to Scale Commercial Real Estate, and you really kind of peel back a lot of the layers to educate people and show them how to do this. Can you tell us a little bit about your show and how that got started and sort of how it's sort of taken off to the scale it has, and then we'll dive into your investing philosophies?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the 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 podcast is just that. It's, it's purely information, it's purely educational in nature, probably similar similar to this one. And really, I would say to be honest with you is that I get just as much. Here's the cool thing about a podcast is that you get to get somebody else on the other end of the line that is, you know, way ahead of me in commercial real estate. And I get to ask them anything I want about how they grew their business. One of the fascinating parts about real estate, I think is that people are so willing to share information. It's a very collaborative. Uh, collaborative industry. Yes, it's competitive. Yes, people are duking it out over deals. Yes, there's bidding wars. All of that stuff still happens. But because of the size of the deals, there's commonly, I mean, partnerships just are, you know, happen all the time in commercial real estate because it takes a lot of people to get deals done. It's not a one-man sport or a one, you know, an, an individual sport. That said, it's really fun to have a podcast where I get to get one-on-one 30, 45 minutes with somebody. That has been in the business much longer than I have and just learned from it. So for me, it's been an, an incredible blessing. I, I, you know, I don't want to talk about all the blessings for me, but it is so It's like, Oh my gosh, I get to, I do all my recordings on Tuesday. It's a, it's a daily show. So there's 365 episodes a year. So every Tuesday, I devote the entire day just to podcasting and only do about 10 episodes, record about 10 a week. So I'm always building a little bit of, of a uh, buffer in there. But how cool is it that I get to pick the brains of the people all over the country every Tuesday and learn from them? So that's fun. And at the same time, obviously, our listeners get to learn along the way with us. So I mean, we interview everybody from active investors, limited partners, passive investors. We talk to mindset coaches. We talk to attorneys. We talk to you know, syndication attorneys. We talk to anybody that really touches CPAs, that touches the commercial real estate space. I bring on the show and we talk here. And it's pretty awesome.
0: Well, I think I think it's fair to say you put us to shame because we do one episode a week. And find it difficult.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you're doing it. Listen, most, most podcasts don't make it past seven episodes. I mean, it's the industry stack.
0: We only got to eight because I begged my family
2: to listen to every <laughs> single one. So,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, But it it is funny, though, Sam. I often think we've been doing the other podcast at least since 2016. And... A lot of the people that we have on, I often think like this guy would never sit down. I mean, maybe he would, but it's hard to ask somebody to go for a cup of coffee that, you know, is running the largest development firm in the, the city of Vancouver. And, and yet you can sit down and just ask them anything. It's kind of an amazing opportunity. I always think of that. That's, that's an interesting answer.
1: It is. It is an amazing opportunity. And you know, you as the podcast host are bringing value to them too. Obviously, you're taking your time out. You're going to produce the episode. You're going to pay for it. You're going to put it out, Pub it on social media. I mean, I've got two full-time people that just helped me because I don't even know how I got on your guys' show. The two <laughs> full-time people that helped me book and I don't, I don't know. I just, I sit down on Tuesdays and everybody's booked and all their stuff's in order and that's what they do. They, they're on my team and that's, that's their job.
0: We've been listening to you for a long time so we were begging consistently to get you on the show. So whatever whatever team member you had that gave us the green light, we thank them.
1: <laughs> Great. I'm good. It was, pretty, that's a, it was probably Rachel. So, you know, but that said, I mean, here's the thing is I've interviewed people who, you know, run nine different companies, nine different companies and have hundreds of employees, if not thousands. And it's like, wait, I bet there's people in your organization that if they said, hey, can I talk to person X? They get, they just be like, no, like you're, no, man, like Boston's busy. They don't have time with you. <laughs> and yet somehow I get that inside, like you said, the largest developer in Vancouver. You get that inside, like, sure, we'll sit down and chat. Like I can do things that people inside of your own organization can't do. That's cool.
2: Right. No kidding. No kidding. Well, maybe shifting gears a little bit, Sam. One thing that struck me about the shift from residential to commercial was this idea of the ability to scale and, and obviously the the larger deals, but but can, can we talk a little bit about your portfolio and, and how you scaled it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So again, going back to the idea that this is a collaborative business, we were in the parking industry until March of 2020. We had divested of all of our assets, thank goodness. About a month and a half before, all I was doing was parking. So looking at service parking lots, looking at garages, things of that nature. COVID killed parking. I don't want to spend much time talking about the parking business, but uh, it killed barking. and literally I floundered for about five months going, crud, what am I gonna do next? Which part of the watching the podcast is part of that. So it's like, okay, I gotta gotta get my head out of the sand and actually go do something. As part of the collaborative nature of this business is that again, I have so many industry contacts out there and friends in the business I've known for years. It was like, Hey, you know what? What are you working on that's fund? My theory is this is that especially in assets like multifamily, multifamily. It's frothy, man. And it, it is, as I talked about earlier, everybody's duking it out in multifamily. Well, as opposed to me going out and fishing in the same pond as everybody else, Use an example, you know, Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina, as opposed to going out and trying to find my own assets in Winston-Salem, why don't I just call on my friends and say, hey, guys, who's buying some really great stuff in Winston-Salem? And when you get something on the line, call me, and I'll help you reel it in. So that's been my approach, and it's a very easy way – to scale especially if you want to be in a variety of asset classes cuz you don't necessarily have to be the master underwriter on assets in Winston Salem but you know that your friends and again this goes back to having a deep bench of people you know like and trust that you've been been involved with for several years that you can do this with. and then you know they call you and you go and you help take the deal down you bring capital to it you stay on the investor calls you stay on the asset management calls you know, bring other relationships to the table and and it's, uh, it's a fun way to participate and grow. So I, we did that on several multifamily deals. I built a boat and RV with storage facility last year of my own, which is what has now gotten us into the, into the kind of laser focus we're doing right now. We did a large fund of funds last year, again, with friends that I know I can trust that I have personally invested with for years. And, um, you know, so we went out and raised a bunch of capital for a large storage portfolio as well. And that's kind of been the, the mix. of has been storage, multifamily boat and RV storage. In so doing my research and building this boat and RV storage facility, I said because somebody else bought the project to me. That was somebody else said, hey, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Sure. No problem. I love the project. Did a little research on it. The project looks great. Let's go do that. But in so doing that research, I realized that there's this humongous tailwind in the outdoor hospitality space. And it's largely overlooked. Not completely. But it's largely overlooked from an institutional standpoint, even from the average everyday commercial real estate investor it's overlooked. so the cap rates the going in cap rates I don't know if that if I can use terms like that on this show I don't know what your sure. listener base is like but the going in cap rate you know on a national average here in the US is like 8.75 percent is just and that' that's an average I mean, we're buying stuff right now that've got under contract between 10 and 11, which is just astounding like wait. And your cash on cash returns are crazy and debt's available. So it's like, wait, we can buy things at a 10, 11 cap. We can get good debt on it. The cash on cash returns are in the mid teens. Yes, they're more operationally complex. Yes, there's more moving parts. Yes, there's more people. It is a functioning business and less of just like, it's not just a mobile home park where you just collect rent lot or lot rent every month. But it's, uh, there's just a lot of compelling reasons, and those are just a few of them that we're getting into. And again, COVID just, it already had massive tailwinds to it, and then COVID just blew it up. And we just see a good 10-year run in the RV park space that uh, I think we're on the front end of.
0: So, Sam, you talk about cap rates, and to kind of give you a comparison, and obviously the Vancouver marketplace is, is probably not the best one. Up here, we see cap rates in the multifamily space as low as 25 to 2.75%. And if you can find good assets in secondary BC markets, you're approaching four and a half or five. You talk about these outstanding returns that you're being you're you're finding these deals. Are these in the RV space, like the RV parking space and the boat storage space? Is that where you're finding these type of returns?
1: Yes, absolutely. And and to to be clear, we're buying RV resorts. I use the term park. I need to strike it from my vocabulary. We're buying RV resorts. We want destinations. I don't want a roadside. Hey, drop in, spend the night, pay your 30 or 50 or 70 bucks, whatever it is, and then roll on the next day. We want something that's a destination where people want to come spend the weekend, where there's events, where there's, you know, game rooms and heated pools and all sorts of fun stuff to go do and family events. We're looking for somewhere or one of the other RV uh, resorts we've got on uh, that we've got under contract is a, a big fishing destination. It's a big reservoir, it's a big fishing reservoir. There's 25,000 members on the Facebook group for this fishing on this fishing reservoir, which is just astounding. I'm like, I don't even like the fish, but that's a lot. <laughs> um, but you know, so you're buying, you're buying, we're buying a marina, a 40 room motel, an RV, a hundred slot or hundred site RV park. There's floating kitchenettes. There is boat rentals. There's you know fishing guide service. There's all these ancillary businesses that go along with it. But that's a resort. People are going to go there. Because they're going to show up Thursday night, fish, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They're going to want to eat at the restaurant, spend the weekend there. It's not just, a, again, a roadside park. And I want to make that very clear because I think there are some headwinds in the RV space as well. Although demand is off the charts. in RV parks as a whole are severely underbuilt for the supply of RVs that have come onto the market. Which is why, and again, we can get into why RV and boat storage is kind of a secondary secondary value add uh, play that we're looking at as well when we buy these resorts can we add boat and RV storage because again you know there's so many so many uh, new deliveries coming on the market I have no place to put them so there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces there yes, but we just we, we see a lot of again massive tailwinds and at this point it's overlooked so our kind of theory is one of two things either buy a whole bunch of them and then sell them off individually or in three or four or five years. Have have aggregated enough assets that we could attract an institutional buyer.
2: Wow, Sam, it sounds like you're very kind of actively involved in these. Can you talk about like for an average RV park, like how involved are you in these in these deals in terms of either adding value or establishing management, or or how does how does this work?
1: Very, very is the answer, and that's also one of the reasons why you know obviously these are trading at a higher cap rate. I mean, there's just there's no no denying that this is an active business. So there's two things that my partners and I are doing. One is obviously buying the parks, but also building out a management company at the same time, because it's, it's going to be, they, they, there are so many moving pieces and there's so many employees that it's just like, wait, we're going to have to do this. And there's not a good management. There's not a third party management in the RV park space. Like you would have say in multifamily. Again, it's just there's just too many moving pieces to it. So, yeah, it's a little daunting, to be honest with you. When I think about it, I'm like, my gosh, this is, there's a lot going on here. There's a <laughs> lot going on here. It's, it is people heavy. That's for sure.
2: Wow. So if I understand the kind of transition to this, because it seems like, so you were in parking, which seems fairly, you know, I, I, I think I understand that business. And it seems fairly, at least in relation to the RV parks, simple. And then since COVID, you've kind of moved towards RV parks, but this seems like the creating these systems is actually, yeah, daunting is is the word. It seems like it it's a it's a huge undertaking.
1: Huge undertaking, hundred percent. Yeah, there's I mean there's 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 no way around you know saying that once the systems are built, and that that's our that's our 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 kind of thesis right now. We're buying. In these three to seven million dollar range on these parks. So, you know, smaller purchase prices so we can get our hands wrapped around what does this look like, get the kinks out of the system, and then we can go start looking at larger parks. The other thing, too, though, and maybe we don't. I mean, here's the thing is that just talking off off the cuff here, but maybe we don't because you get into those larger, you know, 15, 20, 30 million dollar parks, and not, now you're at an institutional level. When you're in the sub 10 million dollar mark, It's all mom and pop owned and operated, which is beautiful because there's so many operational inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. Every park we have under contract right now is mom and pop owned. And it's like, wait, you guys don't have Wi-Fi? Wait, you don't do online booking? Wait, you don't have dynamic pricing? Wait, you don't? Yeah. You guys are slammed full for the season and you're not building more RV sites, even though you have land that you could build it on? okay. I don't understand. (laughs) And that's that's where obviously we can, I mean, and that's the stuff we want to see, right? I hate to say it, but that's the stuff where we just go the Ching. Yeah. Yeah. Of course we're going to add more sites. Yes. Of course we're adding Wi-Fi, and yes, we're billing everybody 80 bucks a month for it. Yes. I mean, there's just so many things that the loads of levers that we can pull to drive more revenue, which is fun, but also with each of those levers, then comes out of complexity. So it cuts both ways, but, I don't even know what the question was. I'm just
2: talking. No, no, you know what? And I, I at least have a, have a couple more questions here. I guess taking a bit of a step back, I'm interested in how you find the parks, how you find the deals, but maybe before we get to that, also the transition from, you know, pulling your head out of the sand, I think is the term you used and kind of figuring out, okay, what's next? Like, how, how did you isolate this, the RV parks and storage as, as something you, you were really excited about? Like, I think I'm, trying to ask, what does the deal look like? But how did you come to the realization that this asset class was was a deal, kind of generally speaking? Was it through a network right. or conversations or or how?
1: Yeah, and it goes back to the boat and RV storage facility we did last year. I mean, that, that, that was that's the short of it, is they had to do a ton of research on the market, ton of research on RV <laughs> deliveries, on what demand, and then you start getting into the RV association. You start pulling data, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, like I'm opportunistic. You know, I own an RV. Yes. Yes. I love to travel across the country. And yes, I've spent plenty of time in RV parks. And I've always thought, well, that'd be kind of fun to own those someday. So there's always that kind of inkling. And then, then all of a sudden it just all became cleared. And then, and then we started doing research and just noticed the attractive buy prices and the attractive, I'm also a cash flow investor. So I mean, I love equity multiples. That's great. It's cool when you, get, when you hit a big lick and get a big payday. But I also really love money just showing up in my account every month. And I know <laughs> if I love it, my investors love it. And so it's like, if we can continually produce that, well, why not, right? Like, why not go buy things that throw off a heavy cash on cash return? I mean, people are foaming at the mouth for a 15% cash on cash return. And that's what we can fairly consistently predict. Okay, great. So that sounds good. But again, opportunistic.
2: Sure. And yeah,
1: if you compare it to parking, it's a completely different ball game. I mean, parking was absolutely the most hands-off commercial real estate investment I think that I can think of. You subbed it out to an operator, and you got an ACH in your account once a month, and your phone never rang. Oh, that's, that's this is a different ball game for sure. But you know, with a different ball game, also comes much more attractive return profile. Right.
2: And and can we talk about how you find? How you find a deal, where are you buying these parks and how you monitor
1: the market? Yeah, no, again, it goes back. It needs to be within two hours of a major city. That's criteria number one. Criteria number two is it has to be a destination, it needs to be somewhere that people want to go and spend a weekend or whatever that is. So we've got two different profiles on three of the parks we're buying right now, and two of them are on a large reservoir with varying reasons why people come and spend the weekends or spend the week or a lot of these actually have long term long term R V tenants in the space. So we want to find out, you know, why are they staying there? That's that's the first thing. You know, again, differentiating that from a roadside park. Monitoring the market I would put right up there with why are people coming there. Listen, are people gonna stop fishing if the economy takes a dump? I doubt it. They'll probably fish more. You know, <laughs> like okay. More time for fishing. Like Sandy <laughs> well that that then that works and then how do you find these deals the same way you find everything else I mean it is uh cold call it is mailers it is I mean again most of these are are off market there are brokers out there and certainly you can find value from brokers there it's a very niche broker set but, you know a very small uh small set of, of brokers really that handle the entirety of the country but um yeah, I mean, you could go through brokers. I haven't found anything via a broker yet that made sense. So all of ours have just been direct sourced by us and straight to seller, direct to seller.
0: Sam, you know, through your years of investing in this, in commercial real estate and, and syndicates and all that stuff, we've all had home runs, we've all had failures. What are some maybe mistakes you've made along the way that you've learned from that have created, you know, better values and better core values for your future investments that you're making now?
1: Yeah. Great question. Early on as a limited partner, I probably put some money in deals that I didn't understand very well because I was so anxious to get in. I'm like, sure, I'll put a hundred grand in that. That's a great idea. And they're still performing. I don't have any war stories of bad LP investments. I've just got some that haven't gone, you know, maybe as well as it could have. So, you know, all of them are, are paying, maybe just not paying what they had hoped, or maybe the capital has been tied up longer. Then uh, you know, then maybe maybe I wanted it to. So I guess that's one thing. I did look at a couple deals today on the passive investor side, and there's there's some things I'm leery of right now. Bridge debt's one of them. Uh, I saw a deal, a development deal today, where they were using two year IO bridge debt at nine and a half percent. I mean, the GP team probably had twelve people on it. And I'm like, what in the world? I mean, those two, (laughs) those two, those two alone were enough for me just to close down the OM and say, thanks for sending it. Not for me. Like too many people on the team, which just tells you, that tells you two things. One is that the deal sponsor is not good at raising capital and needs a lot of help getting it done. That tells me there's a whole bunch of people involved in the deal that probably don't understand it as well as they think. And then the debt structure just dumb. I was like, okay, well, I'm out. I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, or just rambling. I'm probably no, kind of no, 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 you you, to- you not. totally did.
0: And, that, and that's exactly what it is. And and for our listeners too, OMs are like offering memorandums and all of that stuff. No, no, you you, you totally hit the nail on the head there. Everyone's kind of had these situations over the years where you've made some investments that have worked out really well and some that haven't worked out as well. And you learn from them. And obviously there, you're touching on, on some key things that you've seen over your time that maybe that are sort of red flags now for what you would look to from an investor standpoint.
1: Right. That's exactly right.
2: I'm just thinking, Sam, you know, we've talked about scaling, but for listeners out there that are, you know, maybe just thinking about commercial real estate, getting their start, have, you know, one or two properties, what is one piece of advice for someone looking to to quickly scale in in commercial real estate that you'd, you'd give?
1: It depends. If they're an active investor and they want to go big, I would, I mean, the first thing I'd do is find a mentor. Find somebody that's ahead of you. And, and and I say this a lot. Find the person that is doing what you are doing. I did this in the parking space in 2018. No pun intended. Um, they, <laughs> I went and found a guy that was already in the space. had closed like $300 million in parking assets. And I said, hey, how can I bring value to you? I love what you're doing. I think it's a cool asset class. I don't know a darn thing about it, but I want to learn everything I can from you. And he's like, yeah, okay, go away. And I just kept asking for like five months. And he's like, hey... Fly down here, meet me. I'll show you how the business works. Okay, I did. And so then he said, look, here's how the business works. Here's how you find assets. Go find assets and we'll split them. I'm like, done. That's awesome. I love that. So that's exactly what I did. I went and found assets for him. I mean, obviously it was a a time investment for me. It was a a lot of work going out and, and mapping cities and finding good assets for us to make offers on. But that's how I scaled on that side of things. And then, you know, so that's one way you can do it without hiring a mentor, without actually paying a mentor. The other way is to, is to find somebody that's doing it, but that you can pay, you can buy their time. So that's something else I've done. I've written checks to people in this business that cost more than my college education, but I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. They've got their cell phone number and I've run deals by them all the, you know, it's like, oh, hey, here's how you can restructure that or do this differently. I still do it to this day. The only caveat there that I would say is that this industry is fraught. It's fraught with the guru, but no do. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're core hustlers. Core hustlers. Don't, don't join a core hustler or don't do a course, pay for a course Course in a, yeah, those are wasting your time. Find somebody that you can mentor you one-on-one and if you need to, pay them a very handsome sum to, uh, to learn from them and yeah, I mean, last week alone, I ran something by it by a mentor of mine, I'm like, oh, I think he just paid for himself on that one call.
0: Awesome. <laughs> that fun. Sam, before we let you go, we have a six pack of lighthearted questions. We ask you some questions just so we get to know you a little bit more outside of the workplace. Do you have just a few more minutes for us?
1: Sure, let's do it.
0: Favorite vacation spot when you can find the time and you, and you can't go to your own resorts?
1: <laughs> man, anywhere, anywhere in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. And that includes all of Canada. I've driven the Trans-Canadian Highway multiple times. Oh, and man. It's always a blast. It's always a blast when you finally get into Vamp, Yoho, Jasper. And you just, I mean, those are, that's a beautiful, and, and Vancouver's pretty, by the way. But that's, uh, that's awesome when you get into Canadian Rockies. Those are absolutely stunning. So I love, love getting up there.
2: You must have the exact opposite. Whenever, at least, I go to the, to the U.S., I think, man, these highways are so nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder
1: what your take on, on Canada is. Like, Jesus, where am I? <laughs> oh, for sure. It's definitely rural, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's worth the, worth the time investment.
2: Right on. Well, we know you're in Memphis, Sam. Oh, favorite band.
1: Band like as in BAND? Yeah. yeah, as
2: in music, yeah.
0: Band or musician?
1: Wait, for Memphis or just in general? No, no,
2: no. I'm just thinking Memphis is a hot a hot spot for music, but uh just generally speaking, favorite favorite band or musician.
1: Oh man, I love Cake. If you oh, don't know oh, cake, interesting. Like like mid-90s. Yeah. The funky, yeah, funky music, but uh big yeah, big cake, man.
0: Right on. A book you would recommend to our listeners, and it doesn't necessarily have to be real estate related, but maybe a book you've read that's inspired you or you've been able to take some stuff away
1: from. Oh, man, there's so many. I read mostly business books. Gosh, something I would say that you have to read, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt.
0: We haven't had that one yet. write no. that one down.
1: Well, it's a niche book. It's definitely niche. It's almost as niche as cake. Um, but yeah economics in one lesson it's an economics book for guys like me that aren't too bright and you're like oh gosh he explains it in such simple terms and he breaks down so many of the myths because I mean I don't think there's any of us that are like oh hey you know all of our leaders are just doing great things with our money I love the way that they handle it they're fiscally responsible and they're paving the way for a bright and happy future (laughs) (laughs) Not.
0: When you when you find some time to sit down, what's your favorite movie? What are you watching?
1: Yeah, yeah, here we go. So if I'm gonna watch something with my kids, it, it would be uh, Robin Hood, the animated color Robin Hood. Oh, I would watch that yeah, 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 yeah. The,
2: the Disney one. Is it the Disney? what now? Was it Disney?
1: I think I don't know, man. I, I, I yeah, yeah. yeah. DVD, I know what you're talking honestly. about. I know what you're
2: talking about. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the Errol <laughs> Flynn from like the forties, <laughs> but didn't know.
1: <laughs> no, no. I I would say if I can watch that with the kids, then then we'll all get a good a good laugh, and it's it's fun, clean entertainment. So that's something. Uh, you know, if I'm doing something with the kids, that's what I would love to watch.
2: Right on, and uh, and we thank you again, Sam, for your time. But we have the one last question. Actually, I have a second question a very quick one after this, but what is something you have bought in the last couple of years for let's say under $1,500 that has drastically improved your life?
1: I'm an anti-stuff guy. So I find drastic improvements in my life when I throw stuff away. So I, am, I, I make it a daily ritual to find something in my life that I can purge, not buy. My mountain bike is probably, I mean, I always have had a mountain bike but I got a new mountain bike a couple of years ago. And so anytime, anytime you get something new that adds um, exercise value, I think that's probably, that's probably it.
2: Right on. And Sam, as as just a final kind of thought here, I, I wanted to ask you earlier, you got out of the parking space by the sounds of it, like literally right before COVID hit. Did I get that right? The, yeah. Like March, 2020?
1: Bingo. We got out end of, end of January. Yeah end
2: of January. So I, I know we often talk about trying to time markets and things like that. Like what was it? Was that just kind of a luck thing or what happened there?
1: All, all luck. That's it. I mean, there's just, there's, there's, it was just like, Oh, we timed that correctly. Wow. Well, we okay. Yeah. I mean, no, nobody, we didn't see that coming. No, there was, there was no other impetus other than we got great offers and we said, yes. And then we didn't know anything. And it was like, Oh man, beautiful. No kidding. I'm really no, grateful right now.
0: If, if you want, just so you know, Sam, we can edit that out and you can say it again that you, know, you thought COVID was coming, you were predicting offices were going to close, <laughs> no one going to park in our parking lot. Like, Everybody was going to stay home for two years. Everybody like, was going to stay home for two years. We can put that in if you want. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then I'm going to ask uh, a last question here for all of our Canadian fans. Nashville Predator fan? Fellas,
1: Ever? if there's one thing, that yep. I can't talk If My life depended on it. I don't even know <laughs> who the Nashville predators are. I cannot talk sports.
0: Enough said. I don't,
1: is, that, is that hockey? Is that football? Is that, that I, don't know. I don't know. That's hockey. That's and, hockey. And just
0: so you know, our Canucks aren't much better. So we're we're, we're on the same boat.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, man. I, I, I would, I would get, I would, if I, yeah, if I had to answer a sports question, I would die before I could do it. I'm sorry.
2: Right on. Well, well. thanks again for your time, Sam. That was really a great conversation. I think there's a ton of takeaways for our listeners. All will mention how to scale commercial real estate, your podcast, but how can people listening find out more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Come to the brick and investment group.com, That's B-R-I-C-K-E-N InvestmentGroup.com. Join the Brickin Investor Club. That is the only way you get notified of opportunities uh, that we are presenting. You know, Usually that includes a phone call with me, it's been a great part of my day just talking to investors about deals we're working on and why we're working on them. It uh, brings me a lot of a lot of pleasure and joy to have those calls. So join the group. You'll get uh, access, obviously, all of our deals and then everything else we put out education and content-wise. So that's uh, the easiest way. Again, BrickinInvestmentGroup.com.
0: Well, Sam, thank you so much for your time. That was very insightful. Really appreciate it. And thank you once again also for putting out your podcast. We've uh, we've taken a lot from that, so we really appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Sam.
0: Take care. Have a good day. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Sam Wilson, passive investor, active investor, host of how to scale commercial real estate.
2: And cake listener. And cake listener. <laughs> the, the and c- interesting guy. I really very interesting. I feel very like, interesting. Man, I feel like on, on our podcast as well, some of these guys we talk to from the States are just really. Obviously super whip smart, but yeah. then they've also had these really interesting lives. Like,
0: Well, you know what's funny too is like, I mean, we see like RV parks come for sale. We see trailer parks come for sale. We see parking lots come for sale. And never really sort of looking at it too much on an investing, more on a brokerage sales side of things. Right. But how he talks about the cash on cash returns, the ability to add value to these assets, by maybe adding more RV space or more pads. Can we add boat and RV storage and all the other artillery type businesses that come off these investments? It makes it really interesting. It almost wants to make you take a double take at it.
2: No, no kidding. No kidding. I love how it's like finding the deal, but also finding the deal at that broad level, like where, yeah. Hey, what's frothy? Cause there's a lot that's frothy. Yeah. What's frothy, but what are the things people are overlooking right now? No, great it, conversation.
0: Yeah. It really opens your eyes to a lot of things too. And also he talks we find out he's not a sports guy, but he has driven the Trans-Canada Highway up here. And, you know, he, you know when, when anyone t- t- kind of says that to you, you're kind of like, did you really drive it? He was banging <laughs> off Jasper and Banff. Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is a guy you want to go have a he, beer with. He
2: even commented uh, on how terrible that highway is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, no, he is a guy. I, uh, yeah. I, I feel like if I ever am lucky enough to be in Memphis... He's the guy you're calling. Uh, No kidding. No kidding.
0: And we got his cell number. (laughs)
2: That's right. No, great talking to Sam. Tons of takeaways there. What else do we have, Corey, before we cut for the day? Interest rates are up. Interest rates are up. And actually... Well, we're, I think we're six days off the next, Bank you, Canada it, Interest rates are
0: up. So that's one thing, too. We have an upcoming episode. Where we're going to dive into interest rates and how that may or may not affect the commercial real estate market here in BC.
2: You know, it's worth pointing out, we've kind of, there's a general sense that the residential market, and everybody's using the same term, is spotty right now uh, across Metro Vancouver. But the commercial real estate world is still going gangbusters. You, you still look gangbusters, tired.
0: Still gangbusters. Again, not a lot of inventory to pick from. And guys have been looking for inventory, guys and girls, sorry, have been looking for inventory. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that as we continue to see good inventory come out of the woodwork a little bit, gone before you know it. So we're still, we're still extremely hot on the commercial side right now. High, high demands for product that interest rates, unfortunately, have not affected pricing yet for all those people who are waiting on the sidelines thinking it might
2: fantastic and Corey of course people that are interested in learning more about the commercial real estate world can head over to williamwright.ca
0: they can head over to williamwright.ca anytime they can call our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. let us know what your needs are we'll put you in touch with our brokers anywhere in the province that will suit your needs or they can send me an email Corey at williamwright.ca always happy to talk real estate
2: and of course these podcasts also live at Vancouver real head over to Vancouver real for all things real estate related. We also have not transcripts, but I would say synopses of these. Uh, Good way to put it. Of, of these uh, episodes, so if you're if you want to take a second uh, look, VancouverRealEstatePodcast dot com, and uh, I think we'll be back next week, Corey. We'll be
0: back next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care.
1: Subscribe today.